Into our hearts, into our hearts. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. That is our heartfelt prayer as we begin our service tonight. My name is Hal Brady and I want to welcome you. As always, it is my prayer that you will be blessed by both the word and the music as we continue our discussion of the Lord's Prayer. Would you hear, please, the reading of God's Word from Matthew chapter 6. When you're praying, do not heap up empty praises as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh God, your will be done, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Thank you for this very sacred opportunity, and thank you for the people who have joined me for this occasion. May your blessing be upon all of us. It's in your name. Amen. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, Jesus gave us six petitions to pray. Depending upon how we group these petitions, the number will be. All six are of supreme importance. No question about that. But Jesus places the spotlight on only one. Jesus does not have the need for us to go back and ask these various things. For instance, he doesn't say, I want you to repeat asking that my name be hallowed or that the kingdom come or that my will be done. He doesn't ask these things, neither does he ask us to pray again about our daily bread, even though that is absolutely essential to our life. He only has us reiterate when the prayer is completed one thing. One thing is spotlighted. Listen to this. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus continues, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, 
neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So what do we learn from this important petition? And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We learn about our need for forgiveness. We learn about our need for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts, Jesus said. Now, as you notice, both Matthew and Luke write about this prayer and this petition. But they look at it in a different way. Matthew, first of all, mentions the word debt. The word debt. It means a failure to pay that which is due. A failure in duty. Who of us can ever say that we have fulfilled our duty both to God and humankind? Who of us can say that? In bank terms, it means insufficient funds. We're overdrawn. For Luke, the Greek word he uses is the word sin. The idea here is missing the mark. The arrow misses the mark. Charles Lamb told about a fellow by the name of Samuel LeGrice. He was a smart young man, but he never fulfilled his potential. He described his career in these three ways. He said, first of all, there was something he will do. Then he said there was something he could have done. And then he said there was something he might have done had he been interested. In this sense, sin is a failure. It is a failure, a missing of the mark. And then there's the familiar word trespass. Trespasses is a word that comes from the Book of Common Prayer of the Church of England, a translation that was given long before the King James Version of the Bible. But regardless of whether you use the word debt, sin, or trespass, all of us are guilty. All of us are guilty of sin. There's no place in this prayer or otherwise that we simply ask the question, if we sinned. In this prayer and in other places in Scripture, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. A pastor tells of a man being out with the church from the time he was a teenager. Finally, his family persuaded him to go back and try the church again. Well, one Sunday he entered the church. It was an Episcopal church, and he got there about the time they were in their confession. We have done those things we ought not to have done, and we have left undone those things we should have done. And he said, good God, I finally found my crowd. I finally found my crowd. Now, how can I drive home the fact that we are all sinners? We've all made mistakes. We are all failures to some degree. How can I drive this fact home? First of all, the chaos of the world. We are sinners. There was a young mother who had been left by her husband. She was raising her children. She had a job. It was a mega job. She was earning just a small amount of money. She could hardly make it. And so one day in her frustration and brokenheartedness, she said, it's a tough world out there. It's nothing in the world but a wilderness. When we start thinking about the wilderness of the world, how can we not think of ourselves as sinners, as debtors, as people who have committed trespasses? We may not consider ourselves to the cause of everything, but have we actually taken it in, in as much as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me? Have we actually taken that in and fulfilled those words of Jesus? Soren Kierkegaard was speaking for all of us when he said, I must repent myself back into the family, into the clan, into the family, back to God. And then there is the character of Christ. We cannot measure up. How many times have we said or heard somebody say, well, you know, 
I'm not, when I think about somebody else, I'm not quite as bad as that. But how do we stack up against Christ? After all, that is the measurement of any Christian, not to compare ourselves with others, but to compare ourselves with Christ. St. Augustine said years ago that he thought he was just as good as the other students at the University of Carthage. He thought he was pure and noble and he was successful. But he said, then Jesus Christ crossed his path and he realized what a mess I had made of my life. What a terrible mess I had made of my life. In a glaring light of Jesus, all of us find ourselves in not too good light not too good light. Horizontal comparisons comfort us, but a comparison with Christ will convict us. In other words, we cannot compare ourselves with Christ and come out anything less than a sinner. And then there is the cross of Christ. We can't ignore it. Years ago, there was the Archbishop of Paris. He went in and he was speaking to a major congregation, and he told about three worldly godless young men that came into the church one day. Two of them wagered the third that he wouldn't give a bogus confession. Well, he accepted the wager. So he went over to the confessional and he began to pray. The priest realized that he was not praying penitently and so he listened to his confession. When he finished con the confession, the priest said, wait a minute, to every confession there is a penance. And he said, I want you, when you leave this confessional booth, to walk out of here and go over to that statue of the crucifix. And I want you to kneel down. And I want you to look up into the eyes of the crucified. And I want you to say, not once, but three times, all this you did for me, and I don't care a damn. Well, this young man left the confessional booth. He went back to his friends. He told them what happened. He told them what the priest had said. He said, I want my money. They said, no, you've got to pay the penance, and then we'll pay you. So the young man saw the crucifix, this tremendous crucifix. He went over slowly. He knelt down slowly, and he looked into the eyes of the aggrieved Savior, and he said this, all this you did for me, and I don't care. That was as far as he got. In other words, his heart began to break. The pain of repentance came to him. And he said, from that moment on, his life was changed. And then that archbishop said, I was that young man. I was that young man. So we have to realize our own need of forgiveness. That is the very first thing. And then secondly, we learn about the nature of forgiveness. Not only the need of our forgiveness, but the nature of forgiveness. There was a minister who called a friend of his in another denomination over the telephone, and the friend's secretary answered, and he asked if he could speak to the minister, and the secretary said, I'm sorry he can't come to the phone right now. He's celebrating. The man who called him said, well, I'm all for that, but what is he celebrating? The secretary said he's celebrating Holy Communion. What a marvelous way to put that. The celebration of the Holy Communion, the shed blood and the broken body of our Lord. In other words, the matchless grace of God and the forgiveness of our sins. What a marvelous way to express it. I want us to go back for a minute to our illustration of the bank. Now listen, here's the situation. Our bank account has insufficient funds. We have insufficient funds. We have overdrawn. We have spent more than we had to spend. The bank calls us and they're ready for their money. They want their money. 
No apology on our part can solve the problem. So what do we do? We just hope somebody will come by and put a deposit in our account and will help us to bring that account balance up to where it ought to be. We just hope that. If we're talking about a financial debt, chances are that's not going to happen. But if we're talking about a spiritual debt, it already has. What did the writer of John's Gospel say? He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God chose to balance the account Himself. In other words, God not only forgave us of the overdrawn business, but God took care of the penalty as well. So that's the kind of God we have. He not only forgives us, but He takes care of the overage, and then He pays the penalty, and then our relationship with the bank is restored, and we are restored to normal banking practices. So what is the nature of forgiveness? The nature of our being forgiven is suddenly the separation between God and us is done. That separation is over. That's what the meaning of forgiveness really is. Of course, you remember the story of the prodigal son. This prodigal son came home. You remember he was out in the bad country. He came home. His father met him and hugged him. And his father received him back into his good graces. But that doesn't mean that the prodigal son didn't face some tough times ahead in readjusting and rehabilitating back into his father's house. But it does mean that he was forgiven and he was restored to relationship with his heavenly father. And that is truly significant. Hugh Martin wrote a book on the Lord's Prayer. And in that book, he described lending something to a young man who had gone off the deep end. The young man had a marvelous family, but he had jumped off the deep end. So consequently, he lent him this book. Later on, the book was returned. But then sometime later, Brother Martin looked in that book and he found that the young man had underlined these words. Listen to them. A criminal standing before a judge in a court of law may well be wondering, how much punishment am I going to get? Is there a chance that I can get off? But a son standing before a father whose love he has hurt, whose trust he has betrayed, is far more likely to be wondering, can I ever again get back to the old atmosphere of love, trust, and friendship? And by the grace of God, we can. We can get back to the old atmosphere of love and trust and friendship. But this is not because God looks lightly on our sin, but it's because God is determined to have a family, to have a family. Robert E. Lee, after the Civil War, after the war was over, the troops had gone, he wondered what he was going to do with the rest of his life. He finally decided he would become a college president. He became the president of a college that had four professors and 40 students. And so one day some soldiers came to him and they wanted to continue the war. They said, we'll hide behind the barns and the hedges. We'll conduct a guerrilla war. They wanted to wear their hatred and their discord as a lapel pin. But Robert E. Lee said, no, the war is over. Raise your sons as Americans. Robert E. Lee continued to try to help young men to become civilized leaders to help lead the nation. You see, he had understood that the relationship was restored. The war was over. And that's what Charles Wesley meant in his hymn when he said these words. He breaks the power of counsel sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Wesley is talking about a restoration of the relationship. And then finally, we learn about the nuts and bolts of how this forgiveness works. We learn about the nuts and bolts of how this forgiveness works. When Robert E. Lee was living his life, 
he decided to have a devotional every day. Included in that devotional was the Lord's Prayer. One day in the middle of that prayer, Robert Louis Stevenson jumped up and he ran out of the room. His wife ran out after him. She thought he was sick and she shouted to him, Are you sick? He said, No. She said, What's the matter? He said, I just, I'm not fit to pray the Lord's Prayer today. If we have unforgiveness in our lives, we are not fit to pray the Lord's Prayer. We are just not fit. No doubt you've heard that clever phrase, often spoken in jest, I don't get mad, I just get even. Though that is somewhat humorous, it's really not humorous at all. Because what that little jesting saying is saying is, I'm not fit to pray the Lord's Prayer. In other words, my life is so filled with hatred and discord that I'm not fit to pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, I want to read you this word again. It comes from Matthew chapter 6. Listen. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. To understand this petition, we need to understand Jesus' parable of the merciful servant. You remember the king had a servant. The servant owed him $10 million. One day the king called the servant in to pay. But the servant said, have mercy on me. I don't have any money. Please have mercy upon me. So the king, who was going to cast him into prison, had mercy upon him. He said, all right, stand up. You are forgiven. He said, forgiven, forgotten, and clean. You can go. Well, that same servant, as soon as he got outside the palace, he was walking down the street. He saw a man that owed him a measly $20. $20. He went over to him and said, pay me what you owe. When the man said, I'm sorry, I can't pay. Please be merciful to me. He said the same thing the first man had said to the king. Please be merciful to me. This other man grabbed him by the collar and pulled him up and said, pay me what you owe. And he drug him off to prison and he said, you're going to stay here till you pay me every dime that you owe. Well, the king heard about this. And so he called that first servant back in. And he said, you know, I don't understand you at all. I just don't understand you. I forgave you $10 million, and you cannot even forgive this friend of yours 20 measly dollars. He called the guards and said, take him to the prison and put him there and keep him there until he pays every single penny he owes. Now, what is this parable about? It's about divine and human forgiveness. These two things go together. In other words, as we forgive we are forgiven. As we are forgiven, we forgive. Now, this is not a kind of a problem that God has with us. It's not the condition of our forgiveness, of being forgiven, of our forgiveness of others. It is just the fact that we're not able to receive forgiveness. We're not able to receive the mercy of God as long as we are blocked by an unforgiving spirit. I'll give you a, a classic example of how this happens. Here I have a bush. I put a piece of plastic over the bush. It keeps the rain from coming on the bush. That's just like it is with our spirits that are unforgiving. Our unforgiving spirits keep the free grace of God from flowing into our lives. It's not that God makes that kind of situation a condition for our forgiveness. It's just that we're not able to receive His forgiveness until we pull the covering, until we take away this unforgiving spirit. Dr. Joe Cronin, A.J. Cronin, was a great author, but he was a physician before he was an author. 
And one time there was a young person in his hospital who came down with diphtheria. And so they put a tube in his neck to help him breathe. But during the night one night, the tube became stopped up, filled with mucus. And so the nurse panicked. Rather than doing anything, she went to call the doctor. Well, when the doctor came, the young man had choked to death. The doctor was so infuriated with his nurse, he wrote her a scorching letter, and he asked her to resign. He was so upset. The next morning, he came back in, and he tore up his letter before he had even mailed it. And he spoke kindly with this nurse if she had pleaded for a second chance. Imagine the joy of that physician when years later that nurse became the head nurse of one of London's great hospitals. You see, because he forgave, he received the loving forgiveness of God into his own life. And the same will be no less true of us. Forgive us our debts, even as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let us pray. Lord, again, we pause to offer you our thanks for this petition. We know, O oh God, that it's a petition we try to learn, but we never really learn it. We just have to keep on trying to learn. So help us, O oh God, to be faithful. We pray, O oh God, that you'd give us an unforgiving spirit, even as your spirit is unforgiving, that you would help us to extend mercy because we have received mercy. Thank you again for your presence in this night and these friends. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you again for joining me for this service tonight. I trust that you have been blessed and that you will share this ministry with other people. Have a good evening. Good night.
Thank you for listening to Dr. Hal Brady, whose television broadcast is seen weekly in Atlanta on the Atlanta Interfaith Broadcasters Network. Dr. Brady's sermons are also available online, and ministry updates are posted on Facebook. With your help, we are able to share the gospel online and on the air, so please consider a donation to Hal Brady Ministries. Donations can be mailed to Hal Brady Ministries, Inc., Post Office Box 1367, Decatur, Georgia, 30031, or you can give securely online at HalBradyMinistries.com. We are grateful for your prayers and support and hope you'll continue to partner with us. If you have any prayer requests, please be in touch. Thank you.